Well, good morning. Great to see you. Welcome to Seacoast Church this weekend. It's going to be a good day uh, in the house of the Lord. I'm glad you guys are here in the room. I also want to shout out to those of you who are watching online. Uh, wherever you might be watching from, we're glad you're here. I got a text this morning from my dad, uh, who was in Brazil, uh, watching online. And so uh, if you're in Brazil, we're glad you're here. He, by the way, incidentally, uh, not an announcement, but he did launch Arc Brazil uh, this week. They had 700 pastors down there that they're investing in, which is super exciting. And I also want to welcome all the campuses. Uh, we, as you saw in the bumper video, we have campuses throughout South Carolina and North Carolina. I got a shout out to what's happening out in the country in Manning, South Carolina. Love what's happening there. I got a picture this from last weekend at the Manning campus. And um, Aaron Gross is a campus pastor there, started in about January. What I love about this picture is that Jim Fleming, who is the founding pastor for our Manning campus, took the picture. Uh, he's transitioned leadership there and is excited about what's happening there. But can we give it up for Manning and all of our campuses? We love you guys, are grateful to be part of this family. I want to let you know uh, where we're going and kind of what's going on here as a church on the weekends. Um, you know, we usually, if you're new to Seacoast, we usually do teaching series, a series of conversations that may last for three, four, five weeks around a certain topic or book of the Bible. Well, this year we started the year studying the Sermon on the Mount uh, with the Beatitudes, and we just kind of stayed there. And uh, we've been studying the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've taken the last few weeks as a break with Easter and then had some phenomenal guest speakers, but we're going to pick that back up. Uh, and we'll probably finish with the Sermon on the Mount in July of this year, uh, and then we'll jump back into doing some, some other really cool series that we have planned for you. But <clears throat> just really feel like this sermon that Jesus gave, it was given to sort of help establish to the believers what living in the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus called it, but what kingdom living is supposed to look like. And so he talks about all kinds of topics. We've talked about how we handle our, our enemies. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about uh, divorce and remarriage, uh, which hopefully isn't always uh, connected to the enemy message, but sometimes it, ca it can be, right? But we talked about all this stuff, and then in the next couple of weeks, he covers some really, really cool topics like what about Christians and judging others? And uh, next, next time, uh, actually next week, we're going to do a celebration of our next generation. But then the week after that, we're going to talk about worry and anxiety. And Jesus just covers all of these great topics in this amazing sermon. So we're going to jump into that today. Uh, my question, though, that I've been thinking about this week is what makes a good sermon? What makes a good sermon? You know, we talk about this is the greatest sermon ever preached. What makes a good sermon? How many think somebody like me should have an answer to that? Obviously, it's something that I have to do. I know what it feels like to deliver a bad one. Uh, I know I can tell by the looks in your eyes. Some of you won't make eye contact with me in the foyer because uh, you don't want to lie to me, but you don't want to be mean to me. So I know that. But what about a good one? What, what, what makes, is it the right amount of humor and the right amount of emotion and it make you feel in a certain way or... Or do you know a good sermon by the feedback, you know, that you get in the foyer or social media or whatever? I, I would say this. What makes a great sermon is does it change people's lives? Do they do something? Do they act differently when they, when they hear it? And that's why we can stand confidently and say that this Sermon on the Mount was the best sermon ever preached because it created this movement for the few hundred people that heard it in that moment 
that they began to live differently. and They began to experience the kingdom of God in their lives. And here we are 2,000 years later, still living in the fruit of the changed lives that happened as a result of this sermon. And the reason I tell you that is because I believe that if you'll be open to it, that this sermon today can change your life. God can use it to to impact your life and and make major changes in an area that has cost you a lot, uh, an area that's caused most of us a lot of worry and a lot of uh, struggle in our lives. And it's because we haven't fully captured the heart of God on this topic. And the topic that Jesus talks about today is the topic of our stuff. Like, how do we handle our possessions, our stuff, our resources, our money? And anytime that we talk about money in the church, this wild, crazy, fun, charismatic church turns into a bit of a Presbyterian church. Uh, everybody gets quiet and, you know, uh, and, and, and you don't like to, it, it, and I want to encourage you, you can be cool. No, there's no, there's no uh, ask at the end of this. We're going to take an offering like we do all the time, which is you give as you feel led and the ways that you can do that. But, but we are going to hit this topic and you might be surprised to know uh, that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, like for example, the Bible talks about prayer over 500 times. How many of you would think that's a pretty important issue if the Bible talks about it that much, right? Uh, faith, like this element of faith that as believers we have to live in, the Bible talks about faith over 500 times, a pretty big deal when it comes to, to, to following Jesus. Guess how many times the Bible talks about money? Over 2,000 times the Bible talks about money. You know, how many of you know language creates culture? The Bible talks about money that often. It's, it's a big deal that believers have an appropriate approach to our stuff. Jesus himself, about 25% of everything he ever said was about money. Can you imagine if I preached every fourth sermon was about money? We would have a lot smaller church, but we might be more closely aligned to the heart of Jesus as it, as it, as it pertains to this. Now, you can rest assured Jesus never took an offering after he talked about money. So the reason that he's talking about money isn't because they were trying to expand the wing at the synagogue and he was trying to get people to No, He talked about money because it has a pretty incredible grip on our lives and In the next passage, he talks about worry. It's actually connected to this. He knows that so many of us have spent so much time worrying and dealing with stress related to this topic. Uh, I I checked this morning with Michael Morris, one of our counselors, and he said, yeah, to this day, statistically, the number one reason couples fight is related to money. We struggle with how do we want to handle this? How are we supposed to steward this? How do we make more of it? How do we give it away? What do we do with our Money. So let's dive into the scripture and see what Jesus says. I think you're going to be encouraged today. He says in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Verse 22 says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Then he finishes with this. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, 
You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Probably the most famous passage that Jesus gave on this topic right here. There's so much in it. I want to pull out three thoughts for us that stood out to me as I've been studying this passage this week. The first thought is this. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. There's always a connection between our treasure and our heart. There is always a connection between our treasure and our heart. Look at verse 21 again. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You want to know why the Bible talks about money over 2,000 times? It's because God is after our heart. It's not because they're trying to figure out how to pay the light bill in heaven, right? I mean, you know that God doesn't need your Benjamins. He's not concerned with that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not at a deficit for resources. The reason he talks about money so much is because he knows that the best way to figure out what my value system is, is to look at the way that I spend my money. The best way to, if you want to know at your core, what do you value? What's most important to you? Then look into your bank account and figure out where you spend your money. There's a direct connection between how I spend my money and where my values are. I love Tim Keller's quote on this. He said, your money will flow effortlessly to that which is your God. And that is so true. And so many of you, we, we get this, right? I mean, if you start investing in a certain stock or maybe even uh, Bitcoin, you begin to become a lot more obsessed and consumed with what's happening in that area of life. If you, and it's, somebody just gave me like a cringe look, it's not real good. Don't look at it right now. It's not going to be um, a good news report today. But if you want to find out what's really important to you, the easiest way is to look through your bank statement and you'll see it. You know, um, I think about Jesus when he and the disciples were hanging out at the synagogue one day and the disciples noticed some people came and brought some pretty impressive gifts, like some big, dropped some big coin in the offering box that day. And the disciples were like, this is awesome. Did you see that, Jesus? Man, can you? And, and Jesus was not impressed at all. Uh, with, with, with what happened. In fact, at one point, this woman walks in, a widow who was down to her, her last dime. And the Bible says she dropped in a, a widow's mite, which is less than a penny, a fraction of a penny. And that's the gift that made Jesus's jaw drop to the floor. And it's because he knew that it took a whole lot more trust for her to drop everything that she had, as little as it was compared to everybody else's, than what it may have taken for somebody who had plenty to put what to others might seem like a, a sizable gift. The point is that it doesn't, you know, big gifts, little gifts, God's concerned with our heart. That's what he's after. That's why, that's why Jesus came and, and died and, and died for our sins to say he wanted to redeem our hearts and he knows that, 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 that our treasure is connected to it. I, I, this next part of the scripture was kind of confusing to me. I was trying to figure out like, why does this fit here? I'll read it to you again. It's verse 22 and 23. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I was studying that and reading commentaries and going, what doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the first part and the last part. But the more that I read and understood about it, the more I realized, oh, it actually does. It's, it's how you translate that phrase, if your eye is healthy. 
A better translation in light of where that is is if your eye is generous. What Jesus is saying is if, if your vision for your life is filtered through generosity, which in other words, how can I bless other people? How can I you know, live open-handedly that, that you're going to be filled with light? And if the contrast of that is if, if your eye is unhealthy, a better translation would be greedy, greedy. And so if we want to know how is our heart, it really comes down to those two things. If I'm going to cultivate a healthy heart, one, I have to cultivate a generous heart. I just have to, I have to, it's, it's not going to happen naturally to us. We're going to have to learn how to cultivate generosity in our lives. And I do that in a number of ways. Part of it is hanging out with some of you guys. I like to hang out with people who have a vision for generosity. I remember Lisa and I years ago were with another pastor and he told us that him and his wife had set a goal early on in their marriage that they wanted to give away a million dollars in their lifetime. And I was just like, What? I'm a, I hang out with a lot of people who have different ty types of goals for what they want to accomplish and accumulate, but I've never heard somebody say, man, here's a goal of giving. And so that made us be like, okay, we want to set some goals for giving. We want to be generous. We want to, and so, uh, so we hang out with people who are generous. I like to be inspired by generosity. There's a guy that I follow on Instagram. All of you need to follow him. His name is Jimmy Darts. He's a believer, and he just his life is all about serving and blessing people in need. That's all he ever posts about. I want you to watch this video and be inspired by Jimmy. Someone if they want to play some hopscotch. All right. Yeah, one put game yeah. hopscotch. Yeah, okay. What's your name? Tom. Jimmy, Tom, good to meet you. All right, man. Have you ever been to Disneyland? You don't want to know how much money you have right now? $13,800. What do you have? Yeah, that's oh your money. God. Look at Oh my God. Yeah. You're... Look at it. It's yours. People love you so much. Here's what I want you to notice about that video. Did you notice how much fun he was having? He found a need, and it wasn't a burden to him. He, he was enjoying, and, and so many of us think that there's a connection between how much we have and how happy we will be. Did you know there is no correlation? Biblically, sociologically, they've studied that like crazy. There is no so, uh, correlation between how much we have and how happy we are. But you know where there is a correlation? How much we give away and how happy we are how generous we are and how happy. And you see that in him. He's having fun. He didn't just give a guy a little bit of money. He entered into his life and he found a way to enrich this guy's life. And as I've been praying about this message, man, I'm just praying that, that, that we release a whole bunch of Jimmy darts into our community to serve and love people and cultivate a generous spirit. So you got to cultivate that. And, and by the way, this is not a muscle that can grow without being used. And so just thinking about, and for, again, for, I know that there are people here today uh, who have margin financially, and there are some people here today that maybe feel more like that widow on their last mite, and they're very stressed, and this has nothing to do with an amount, but you could probably find five bucks to keep extra on you and encourage and bless somebody or find some way, some gift that you have. We got to cultivate a generous heart, but we also have to deal with a greedy heart. We have to deal with a greedy heart. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're greedy.
See, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about you. Same is true of me. Same is true of me. We are born greedy. We are. Uh, In the top five words that kids learn, the first five words they learn on every list that you look at, what's going to be on there? Mine, also no, and dad, which maybe that's all connected. I'm not sure. Dads, we made him do a better job early on, but, but we learn mine. I don't know if we get it just from having another kid take our toy and us feeling like, but we just grow up, you know, greedy. We grow up tight-fisted. That's our nature. That's our simple nature. And we have to deal with a greedy heart. It is not the nature of God. It isn't. And this message is not a give-to-get message. This is a give-to-grow-and-be-more-like-Jesus message. And I believe the more like Jesus we are, the more satisfied we're going to be in our life, the more fulfilled we're going to be, the more fun we're going to have. So we have to deal with a greedy, greedy spirit. And, and I was thinking about why are we greedy? And I was thinking about a story with Lisa and I about a year ago. Uh, we got her a new car, new to her. It wasn't new, but new to her. And part of our situation is our oldest is getting ready to enter into driving years. So pray for us uh, for all that entails. And so we, we thought we're, we're, that we got a deal on this car, and we thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to repurpose her old car. Uh, we were actually going to put it on Turo, which is like a, a rental deal, and sell it and kind of start to help save some money to, to help Miles buy a car. Miles is here. We ain't buying you a car. You have to contribute to that car. But we were going to help with that, and we we're going to use her old car uh, as, a, as a resource for that or sell it and use that money for it. And not long after that, we, somebody needed to borrow the ca- a car, so we let them borrow this car. And it was about a week or two into them borrowing it that the Lord spoke to both Lisa and I, and we both heard it, to give it to them. Like, God, we are not in a place where we give cars away. Like, we hear about those people. That's amazing. That's not us. Like, we need, we have a plan for how we're going to use this to, to help take care of a future need. He said, give, give the car away. I want you to give the car away. And, and here, here's why I tell you that story, which we, we did give the car away. I don't tell you that story to say, hey, yay, look what Josh did. I tell you that story because I feel like I got to understand a little bit of where that greed and fear comes from. It was in order to do that for us, we had to trust that God was going to take care of a future need of ours that we knew was coming. Sometimes it's easy to trust God with the current stuff we have. Yeah, I can, you know, that'll manage that. And, but it was, oh, what about the need I haven't? I know it's coming, but I don't have that yet. And, and, and God was telling, I'm trying to deal with this greedy heart. The more that you'll trust me, the more that you'll understand that, that I'm going to take care of you. And so, Miles, you're on your own for that car, but God's going <laughs> to provide. He'll take care of us. See, wh- why, does, why does God care about our money? Because he cares about our hearts. He cares about our heart. Let's be generous, Seacoast. Let's deal with greed when we hear it. My, my goal is never resist a generous impulse. I just don't ever want to resist one because you know what? They typically don't come from me. I can have a pretty high degree of confidence. So if a generous impulse comes, it's probably the Holy Spirit speaking in my life. And I just want to get to a place where I've, I've, I've flexed that, that generosity muscle enough that I just, yeah, you want me to give? I'll give. It doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. But it takes a high degree of trust in God. Second thought for us when we deals with our stuff and how do we manage our money? How do we handle our stuff? It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. See, that's the basic principle that Jesus is showing us. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. He says, store up, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them, rust destroys them, 
Thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Store your treasures where nothing can rob you of it. Nothing can take it away. He's saying, hey, when it comes to your heart, you're either going to be cultivating a heart that is focused and obsessed with all the stuff here, and then we're going to be really stressed about that stuff. And, and honestly, the closer we get to going to heaven, the more stressed we're going to be that we can't take any of that stuff with us, or we're going to cultivate a heart that we're making investments in heaven. And we're investing in heaven. Now, what's in heaven? You know, that's, that's a difficult, how do I invest in heaven? Well, here's what I know is not in heaven. Our stuff isn't in heaven. You don't typically see U-Hauls going behind hearses, right? They don't take your stuff with you. Uh, our bodies aren't even going to be in heaven. Thank God. We get new ones, better ones. But, but people are in heaven. You know, the reality is we're all going to spend our eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell, depending on what we do with Jesus. And so for us to invest in heaven, it's to serve people. It's to, to, to lead people to Christ. It's, that's why we do things like Serve Day. In two months, we're, we're dreaming. We had 4,000 last time. We're dreaming 8,000 people are going to just go, you know what? I'm going to take a few hours on that day in July, and I'm going to serve people, not just to feed them or to give them something, but serve them in the name of Jesus and serve them in a way that they're going to see the love of Christ and that they're going to, because we want to invest in heaven. We want to invest in people's futures. Jesus says, don't store, don't, don't spend so much of your time storing here, here on earth. How are we doing in America at not storing our treasures here on earth? Well, I have a stat for you about the self-storage industry. This is out of Forbes magazine. <clears throat> this is 2020, actually 2019, December 20. No, I'm sorry. December of 2020 is when this article was written. And here's what it says. The valuation of the self-storage market reached 87.65 billion with a B US dollars in 2019. And they're projecting that by 2025, the, the number will be $115.62 billion of valuation. What it is, it's an article trying to help people who want to invest. It's saying, hey, if you want a recession-proof investment, invest it in the self-storage industry because Americans love to store stuff. And, and what that means is that we are storing in America at the rate of, in 2025, $112 billion. We're taking stuff that we, we like it, it's important to us, but not important enough that we can put it in our home. And we're, we're putting it, we're spending that kind of money and we're locking it up and putting it somewhere and probably not thinking about it or touching it for years. And there are, I mean, I've had storage units over the years where there are times it's fine, right? But the, the reality is that's, that's a lot of storing up of stuff where moths and rust destroy. And Jesus is saying, hey, I don't have a problem with the storage industry. Just store it in the right place. Store your stuff in the right place. Make sure you have a kingdom perspective. Let's be a people who are, because here's what happens is if we're, uh, this weekend I, I sent, I didn't send, I had two friends, two people that I love that went to heaven this week. And, and the reality is that we don't think about heaven a lot until we, until we have loved ones there, until we have people there, until we invest there. And, and the, the, the reality is I'm on a trajectory of my life. I'm 42 years old. What I want is the closer I get to the end of this life, the more excited I am about that one. <clears throat> All of us want that. It ain't going to happen if we aren't investing anything there. If our only investments are here, then we're going to find ourselves increasingly attached to the stuff here and having a really, really hard time 
detaching from it as it, as it becomes time to do that. So invest in heaven. How, how do I do that? Baseline for that is the tithe. Jesus talks about that uh, in the New Testament some. He, he kind of talks about it with some people. He says, yeah, you tithe, that's great. Uh, but, but he establishes a tithe as really the baseline. Uh, Malachi in the Old Testament is where we get this next scripture, 310, says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. By the way, one of the only places in scripture that God says, I want you to test me. And he says, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He says, hey, you get this principle down. You, you live your life in a way that honors. I don't want to be generous towards everybody else, but not generous towards God. You get to a place where you learn to live in a, in a posture of trust with your finances with God, recognizing that it all belongs to him anyways. I'm just returning 10%. Lisa and I started doing that back at 19, 20 years old. We were both working in the restaurant industry. And there were some weeks that we made a combined gross of $80 that week in the sorry restaurant that we were working at at the time. But we would take $8 out and we'd drop it in the, the tithe, tithe envelope. And for us, it was like, man, we're trusting God. Like we trust him with our stuff. And I know that there are some of you today, maybe you're watching online and you're like, dude, are you serious? People really give 10%. To God, and, and I know it sounds crazy, but Jesus was establishing a very different way of living, a way of living where we actually view ourselves as a conduit of God's blessings to other people and not as a reservoir where we have to keep it all and hold it all. And I've learned that, that I can do a whole lot more with 90% and God's blessing on my finances than I can when I try to control it all myself. And so I just encourage you, that's, that's a baseline. But then people give, I was thinking about a couple, we had a couple, and I just can't even imagine being able to give at this level. But during, we, we've told you about this, but we're doing a project on John's Island to help reach people. And they came and said, hey, we want to give a million dollars, but we want it to be matching. And I was talking to him and I was like, him and his wife said, hey, you know, tell me about that. And he was like, well, you can use our name. I'm not going to. He's like, some people want to be anonymous. He said, not me, not because I want credit for it, but because I'm giving up a million dollars of my net worth because I believe in what God is doing here and I want to invest in heaven. So I'm, you better believe I'm going to be meeting with all of my friends and tell them, what are you giving up? And I'm like, can we hire you? Can you just be like our, our development guy? That's amazing. But he had such a kingdom perspective. He was like, this matters so much to me. It's a joy to do it. Some people just think about your stuff. You know, maybe investing in heaven is just repurposing some of your stuff. You know, maybe you've got some stuff in storage. I think about Homeless to Hope. Uh, Tom Young started this organization. He's a seacoaster. And they just take repurposed furniture and they furnish apartments and homes for people who are coming out of a season of being homeless. And it's amazing to see what God is doing through them because so many people just go, hey, you know what? I could sell my couch for a hundred bucks or I could give it uh, to somebody who needs it more than me and just have an attitude of, I want to be a conduit of God's blessing. I just want, if it's going to come, the world says wealth should come to you and the kingdom of God, wealth comes through us and we just bless other people with it. So spend less on what doesn't matter, more on what does. Know that there's always a connection between our heart and our finances. Before I jump into the last point, I want to ask you, where are you with that? Are you accumulating on earth what you cannot keep? Or are you investing in heaven what you cannot lose? Maybe a good question for you to 
talk about with maybe your spouse or small groups and friends. What, what is my attitude really about finances? Seacoast, your calling is too great. Your purpose is too meaningful. Your life is too short to waste it on stuff that doesn't matter. Last thought, it's okay to own stuff, but it's not okay for stuff to own me. Notice how Jesus finishes this conversation. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And I wonder how many of us had these conversations. I want to just, I want to, I want to love God more. I want to feel closer to God. I want to be a part of, you know, it's like there's this tension going on in our lives though. You, you, you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. And I know the reality for a lot of us is that, that this is an area that's brought about a lot of bondage in our life. I know for Lisa and I, and again, it was about a year ago that we finally, after 20 years of marriage, paid off all of our non-mortgage debt. It took a long time to get there. But what I can tell you is this, life feels and lives a lot differently when you're not enslaved to your stuff. That's how it happens to us, right? We think we're buying our stuff and you're like, Josh, I can afford my truck. It's only $900 a month for 15 years. It's fine. I got this, right? You know, we, we, we make these purchases. How, and slavery, it basically is uh, an indicator is when we're buying more stuff than we can afford. And we're going into debt. And, we're, and, and again, this isn't a here. I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just, that's, that's what it looks like when we're enslaved. And, and we buy these things and we're accumulating these things. And then we, we spend the month just trying to pay this stuff back. And it just feels like, man, do we really own our stuff? Or now has that lock that was on our storage unit become a lock that's on me because I'm stuck. I'm, 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 I'm enslaved to this mindset that the world has that if one is good, two is better. <laughs> you got a house, great. You should get a second one. You know, this world, it's never gonna, it's never gonna flow with Jesus's values in that way. We're always gonna feel a pull. We're gonna feel the pressure from this world that it's about accumulating more, 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 more. The words of the great theologian, Biggie Smalls, mo money, mo problems, right? <laughs> if we continue to pursue stuff, 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 it's going to be anxiety and stress and worry and bondage and slavery. And guys, there's a better way to do this. Why did Jesus talk about money so much? Because he wants more for us. Again, I'm not, I'm not doing this message because I want you to give, you know, to, to something going on around here. I just want, I want you to experience the freedom of living a generous life and viewing your stuff in a healthy way. I think about uh, one of the disciples, Simon, he had boat. And uh, by the way, if you have a boat, if you have a house, if you have a second house, this is not a message about that. Like I, the point is whatever you have, are you holding it with open hands and are you willing to use it for the kingdom of God and for, for blessings in heaven? That's the bottom line. Jesus, uh, He's preaching and the crowds gather and it's too much and, you know, people can't see him. And so he says, hey, Simon, I'm going to use your boat. Will you put it out a little bit further from me? And he preaches and people hear the gospel and the good news. And again, Simon's possession, which was also actually his profession, became his platform. And that's the bottom line. I want us to view our stuff, 
view our lives, view your place of work as a platform for God to use in whatever way he would want. What would that look like for you? Maybe it's your home. And it's not giving away your home, although if you wanna do that, more power to you. But what if you opened your home? Said, you know what, God, make this place a platform. Make this place where we're not just about the stuff that's gonna not matter in the long run, but I wanna repurpose it for stuff that's gonna matter for eternity. Maybe you've got some extra stuff. You wanna repurpose it. Maybe God's calling you to trust him in the area of, of the tithe and of giving. And you may go, well, I can't give 10%. Nobody's counting. It's between you and God. Maybe you start somewhere. Just go, you know what? I'm gonna be generous. I wanna cultivate a generous spirit in me. Maybe you give every once in a while and God's saying, you know what? I want you to make this a consistent pattern in your life. I want you to, to you're consistent about every other bill that you pay. What, what, if, what would it look like if you got consistent about just being generous towards God and towards other people? You know, I was thinking a lot about my friend Larry this week. We've asked you guys to pray uh, for the last nine, 10 months for Larry Tran, uh, one of our staff here and part of our family that got sick with COVID about nine, 10 months ago. And God answered that prayer this week uh, on Friday, not in the way that we wanted it to. Uh, Larry went to heaven. He was healed in heaven. We believe that God heals every believer. Uh, he either heals supernaturally. Sometimes he uses great medicine that many of you practice. And sometimes he heals us with heaven. And then at about 38, 39 years old, we felt like it was too soon. But that's the way God chose to heal Larry this time. And, um, and, and we're, we're super sad by that, but it also makes me think about heaven and to know that he is experiencing so much more good than, than what we can imagine. But here's what stood out to me in Larry's story. While he's been fighting for his life for the last nine months, he's said several times, man, my biggest concern is my kids and my, my wife. I just, I, I want to be able to provide for them. I want to be able to care for them. I want to be able to, his son's bike chain broke off in the fall and he was stuck in his hospital bed. And he's like, I just want to be able to do that. And so, you know, of course, Loved ones jumped in and helped out there. But here's what's happened, though, over the last nine months. While Larry was fighting as best as he could for his life, we saw a little glimpse of what the church could be. All of their debt was paid off by just believers who said, you know what, I've got more. I want to serve this family. Is that not amazing? Their home was renovated, and, um, and I, Jessica, his wife, was in service this past at the 10 o'clock service, and we told her, we're here. That's why the church is the greatest, I believe. It's why Jesus said we're called to take care of the widows and the orphans. We're called to serve people because the government's not going to get that right nearly as well as believers could if we just decided to have a biblical perspective of our stuff. It was just a beautiful thing to see their family of all the things they have to worry about right now. That's not one of them because the church just stepped up and and did what the church can do. What would it look like for us to do that? I'll go back to the first question I asked. What makes a good sermon? It's what do we do with it? Does it change our lives? How can I be so convinced that Jesus' sermon was the greatest? Because after he was gone, after he had died, rose from the dead, and then ascended back to heaven and left his spirit here, in Acts chapter four, we see a group of believers who had internalized this message and it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. That's our legacy, Seacoast. That's the church that, 
many of us are experiencing today because others have lived in that way. But it's our turn now to go, you know what, am I going to live this way? Do I, do I want my kids to grow up knowing a story of finance that is only about stress and worry and fighting? And, or do I want my kids to grow up in an environment that just loves being a blessing to other people? With a little bit, with a lot, honestly, the amount doesn't matter. I'm just as motivated and as excited. Uh, our finance team was telling me this week, actually our missions person, she said, there's somebody, and they didn't give me the name, but somebody that gives $2.25 recurring every week towards missions. I was like, come on. How awesome is that? that? That it's important enough to them that they're dedicating and recurring and making, that's amazing. And then there have been people that have given incredible gifts. The point is, let's live open-handedly with what God has given and let it be said of us that, yeah, they didn't view their stuff as their own. They just kind of live their life with an adequate view of their possessions. It serves their needs. But much more than that, it serves kingdom needs. I think that would create a pretty cool wave of generosity and momentum in our cities. I think the world would take note. Would you guys pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you that you're a generous God. Lord, you are so generous that you loved us. You love the world so much that you gave your son. You gave everything that you had to a people who could give you nothing back in return. So God, we want to be more like you. Lord, we thank you. If there's anybody here that hasn't received that free gift of the, G the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that you would experience that more and above anything else. But God, as people who have received your gift, would you help us to be more like you? Would you, would you turn our possessions into platforms? Lord, would you turn our, our professions into platforms that we would just live open-handedly, being generous towards you and being generous towards others? And Lord, that people would see it and know, man, there's something different there, and they would see you in it. God, help us to evaluate our hearts. Help us to be less attached to the stuff here and more attached to the stuff that matters to you. And God, for those of us that may feel enslaved, I pray that you would give us a way out, that you would help us to see a way out and Lord, to be in a position where we own our stuff and, and allocate our stuff and distribute our stuff, but we aren't owned by it. Lord, I love you. I'm grateful for what you're doing in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're gonna respond to God. And uh, I just wanna encourage you to respond in whatever way the Lord leads you. We're going to give you a few minutes of time to just reflect. What are you saying to me, God? And what do you want me to do about it? And again, I hope that you'll have some conversations maybe this afternoon with your spouse or small group to just kind of check each other on it. How are we doing here? Like, how are we doing with our stuff? Are we, are we in a healthy place? There's some stuff that needs to grow. Let's hold each other accountable to it. I want to live that crazy, radical, generous life that you see in guys like Jimmy see a wave of that spreading throughout our community. Some of us, maybe, especially this area of finances, has created a lot of stress or burden or worry for you. Maybe you feel, in some ways, enslaved to it or trapped by it, struggling in that area. By the way, Acts chapter 4, I read that verse about 15 years ago. We did a message on that verse, and we established an Acts chapter 4 fund where we just said, hey, if you're a seacoaster and you've got margin, would you be willing to help other seacoasters who don't? 
And for 15 years, every single month, we've been able to come alongside Seacoasters. This is not for people outside of the church. We, we have ways of being generous in that way too. But this is just people who are, have margins saying, man, I wanna be like that. And so it's been amazing to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars given away every year by you guys to others. So if you are struggling and have legitimate needs, know that the church is, wants to help. We'd love to serve you in that way. You can talk to your campus pastor about what, what that step would look like. But if you've been struggling with finances, maybe go to the, or anything, any burden, go to the cross, leave it there. Jesus, I wanna be healthy in this area of my life. I wanna live according to your values and your teachings in this. Some of us are gonna go to the candles. We use candles to pray for people that we love. Maybe you know somebody who's hurting, struggling. Just go and take a moment, pray for them. We'll have prayer teams that are up front. And again, regardless of what the issue is, some of you are in need of healing today. We'd love to pray for you for that. Some of you, maybe it's emotional uh, stuff that you're going through or relational stuff that you're going through. We'd love to pray for you for that. Some of you, it may be financial burden or stress that you're carrying. We'd love to just pray for you and encourage you, speak God's word over you. We're gonna receive communion together. Communion is a moment for us to be grateful. You know, it's, it's about impossible to be generous without being grateful. Just be grateful for what Jesus did for us. His body, his blood poured out for our sin, our shame. And then some of us are gonna give. And again, I'm not taking up an offering today, but some of us just out of a response of what God has done, we're gonna, we're gonna give generously and we're gonna give either in the offering boxes or maybe you'll text 32320 with an amount. Maybe you'll give online. That's great. Whatever God's calling you to do, but do something. Take a step. Take an action. What's God saying to you? Let's respond to him together.